My title today is Turning Attacks and Discouragement into Victory. Turning Attacks and Discouragement into Victory. And my goal is for us to be encouraged by one of the most amazing stories in Scripture of defeat being turned into victory. We're going to have three parts. We're going to have the backstory, which is basically the whole of the Old Testament. And I'm going to do that in two parts. There's going to be um, like the, the bad part and the good part. And then we're going to talk about the attack and what looks like defeat. And then we're going to end by looking at the victory. So more than 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus, the Israelites were slaves in the land of Egypt. And through an amazing a series of events, God's leader Moses led the people out of Egypt uh, through escaping from Pharaoh into the wilderness, across the wilderness, and 40 years later they came into the land that was promised them. And for several hundred years in that land, they were ruled by judges, and then they were ruled by kings. And the, the second king, was the greatest of the kings, was King David. And uh, we have a story of decline from then on. We have David, we have then the, the divided kingdom, we have destruction, and then we have deportation. Uh, so I'll just go through those declines. David, divided kingdom, destruction, deportation. So here's David. Um, David was a man who loved God with a passion. We read that he was a man after God's own heart. Many of the Psalms were written by David. And he, he lived a life where he was in tune with God, what God wanted. And an intimate relationship, one that was quite extraordinary for the Old Testament times. And... Uh, um, during that time, this little nation of Israel, through God's blessing, became an empire and entered into all the, God's, the promises that God had for them. So David had a son, Solomon, who continued the greatness of the kingdom and ruled. And, uh, but when Solomon died, uh, his, his eldest son, who took over, a man called Rehoboam, was very stupid. And Rehoboam uh, just provoked the people... Uh, by a number of things like raising the taxes and so on, to the point where there's a rebellion, and 10 of the 12 tribes decided to break away and form another kingdom. And they, uh, they rebelled against him. They formed the northern kingdom, which we call, the, we call Israel. Sometimes it's called Ephraim, which was the largest of the tribes. And the southern kingdom, which is where he maintained control of, was called Judah, because that was the largest of the tribes there. So what happened then is these two kingdoms both began to go downhill. There was division and then there was this gradual decline as they began to turn to worshipping idols instead of worshipping the true God. And uh, uh, they became more and more corrupt. So here is a picture of uh, the one of the temples, the remains of one of the temples. And on the right there, I've put a statue of Baal, who was the main idolatrous god that was worshipped. He's the a storm god. He'd be the god of war, the god of fertility, the main god that they would worship at this time. And they became more and more corrupt, worshipped these cruel false gods like Baal. But it was worse than that. They also became very um, unjust. They would oppress the poor, um, 
the justice system became very, very corrupted, so people could just buy justice from the judges, and they became very immoral, and the whole nation just declined in every way, ethically. Uh, became, in fact, worse, if that's possible, than the nations around about them that they had, that they had uh, replaced. And so, uh, because of this, God allowed the Babylonian emperor to come and to destroy the city, both the northern kingdom, which was the Assyrians took away, and the southern kingdom. And the first time he came in, in uh, 597 BC and captured Jerusalem, we've got very good evidence of these dates, by the way, um, because the Babylonians were took meticulous count of the dates of things that happened and, and inscribed it. And we know the dates are right because the Babylonians were also astronomers and they keyed everything into movements in the stars, which of course we can we can know back in history when those happened. And so we know very precisely when these events happened. So it's at uh, 597 BC, the city was captured and the Babylonian king puts, put his person in charge but then within 10 years, they'd begun to rebel again. And he came against them again. And in 586 BC, he utterly destroyed the city. He broke down the walls. He completely destroyed the temple. All the gold and all the precious things from the temple he took away. He took, and because the people had been rebellious, he decided the best way to prevent rebellion was to actually remove everybody. Take them all as slaves. The entire nation who weren't killed they would take away and they took them into his kingdom and then spread them out across his kingdom, which stretched right from India across to the Mediterranean. And so uh, he took these people and um, then to prevent uh, the them ever re- recovering, he took some people from elsewhere in his empire and put them in the land where Israel had been. And those were people actually... The Samaritans descended from those people, which is why there was such um, antipathy between the, the Jews and the Samaritans, because they would come from somewhere else in the empire, and they didn't worship God originally. Um, so, so this is the bad, this is the decline, this is the backstory of getting worse and worse and worse. And so this takes us through a large proportion of the Old Testament. But here is the, here is the other part of the backstory. And this is extraordinary. Even though God's people had rejected him, his love for them didn't diminish. And he wrote a song of lament for his people. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called them, the farther they departed from me. They sacrificed to the Baal idols and burned incense to images. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. My people are obsessed with turning away from me. They call to Baal, but he will never exalt them. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? This is the heart of God to his people who treated him so badly. How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admar, which was a destroyed desert kingdom? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in anger. 
They shall follow the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So here's this extraordinary poem that God writes, even though they've treated him so despicably, He's saying, my heart is for you. And even though you're in captivity, you're like dispersed amongst this, in this great empire, your homeland is gone, my heart is still for you. I love you. And I want you to know that this is, God has, God has given this for us so that there are some times that, that we have treated God badly. We have grown cold towards God. And maybe that's you this morning. You've grown cold towards God and, and you're, you're just not where you should be. And God holds us out for you and he says, I love you. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. I want to take you back to me. Um, it continues, Jeremiah 31. He says, um, indeed, the people of Israel are my dear children. They're my darling children, for even though I must often rebuke them, I still remember them with fondness. Therefore, my heart yearns for them, and I will surely have compassion on them. I, the Lord, affirm it. I will say, my dear children of Israel, keep in mind the road you took when you were carried off. In other words, note the way that you went when you were carried off. Just remember that road. Mark off in your mind the landmarks. Note telltale signs that mark the way back. Return, my dear children of Israel, return to these cities of yours. So this is a prophecy that God's going to take them back along the road that they were taken away from. And this is an extraordinary glimpse into the heart of God. And it touches me very deeply when I read this, because I realize that this is God's heart towards me. And that sometimes I treat God badly. Sometimes I do bad things and I see this is God's heart. And if he was like that to Israel, who did such awful things to him, his love, his character is someone who is there forever. If he loves you, he doesn't take his love away from you. And so if you feel like that this today, I want to encourage you. God is still tender towards you. He's calling you back to him. He's calling you to walk this road that you walked away. He says, note the way you went away. You come back along that road because you are my dear children. One more verse of God's heart. For this reason, the Lord is ready to show mercy, for he sits on his throne, ready to have compassion on you. Indeed, the Lord is a just God. All who wait for him in faith will be blessed. So let's do the last bit of the backstory before we go on to this, to this story for today. What happened was unbelievable. What the, the way that God did this actually defies logic. It's extraordinary. So they were in captive in Babylon. Babylon Empire was this massive empire. And through some events, which I talked about just before Christmas, um, the city was overthrown in a night. And just to re- recap what happened, the Persian army came up against them, but the walls were like so thick and so big, there's no way they could break them down. But... A long way upstream, the Persian army built an artificial lake and diverted into the lake the river that normally ran through the city of Babylon. And in a night, they, diver- they built a dam 
to redirect the city into this lake. And the riverbed that was now empty, the river that went into Babylon, they came through and in a night they took the city by surprise and defeated it. And so the Babylonian empire was gone. The empire which had taken them into captivity was gone. But much more extraordinary than that was the man, Cyrus, king of Persia, that began to rule. Cyrus, king of Persia, we don't know why. This just seems completely out of character for any ancient king. He decided he was going to send his people, the the people of Israel, back to their land. And not only that, he was going to rebuild their temple for them um, just out of his own, uh, out of his own free will. He was going to do this. And this is what he said. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill, to fulfill the Lord's message spoken through Jeremiah, in other words, this was what was prophesied, the Lord stirred the mind of King Cyrus of Persia. He sent a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom, announcing in a written edict the following. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's instructed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Anyone from his people among you, may God, his God be with him, may go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and may build the temple of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Anyone who survives in any of these places where he's a resident foreigner must be helped by his neighbor with silver, gold, equipment and animals, along with voluntary offerings for the temple of God, which is in Jerusalem. So this absolutely extraordinary decree from the emperor led to 42,360 people returning. We read this at the beginning of Esther. Esther, sorry, Ezra. Uh, when they returned to the city, they found it in a terrible state. Uh, this is not the uh, actual city, because of course Jerusalem's been rebuilt, but this is the city of Lahish, which was also destroyed by um, the Babylonians and has never been rebuilt. So it's a pretty good uh, chance that Jerusalem looked kind of like this when they got there. And uh, within two years, they built an altar. They not rebuilt the temple, but they built an altar uh, for God uh, to, as they began to worship so they could restart the sacrifices. But they began to get terrible opposition from the people who were living in the land. So the other people in the land, to start with, they said, oh, great, you're going to worship God. We want to join you because we worship God as well. But they didn't worship the true God. They were they were. Um, uh, they they worship their own idols, and uh, they just wanted to get in on the act of the favor of the king. And so they uh, the Israelites said, no, we're not going to have you join us. And so they began to attack them at this point, and it began several decades of attack. So this introduces the second part of the message here. So to go back to the outline, the backstory, which we've just talked about, and this is, takes us up to this point in history. And then we're going to talk about the attack and what looks like defeat. And then we're going to talk about a victory. So uh, the first of all, then, let's look at the attack and what looks like defeat. Um, and uh, just to give you an outline of it, in, I'm going to go through four, uh, three chapters of Ezra. 
chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. And we're going to look at some of them and summarize some of them. But to give you an overview, Ezra 4 is the nations trying to stop the work. So this is the attack. Ezra 5 is the Jews knowing they're doing God's work. And chapter 6 is God's power is greater than Satan. And as I said at the start with, we are talking today about turning attacks and discouragement into victory. And as we look at this, um, I hope that we will be encouraged that in this story we see an extraordinary attack being turned into a victory. And we'll be able to see that the same God is able to do things in our lives. So let's look through this with an eye on to the fact that it can happen to us as well. So, um, to, to, to give you then, uh, the, 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 an overview of these, these, the, the passages here in Ezra 4, 5, and 6. So I'm going to read, um, uh, some of chapter 4 now. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin learned that the former exiles were, were building a temple for the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, that's the king, the new king of this little nation. They came to Zerubbabel and the leaders and said to them, let us help you build. For like you, we seek your God and we've been sacrificing to him from the time of King Esarhaddon of Assyria, who brought us here. This was a lie. They were just doing this because they wanted some of this favor. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua and the rest of the leaders of Israel said to them, you've no right to help us build the temple of our God. We will build it ourselves for the Lord God of Israel, just as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the local people began to discourage the people of Judah and to dishearten them from building. They were hiring advisors to oppose them so as just to frustrate their plans. Throughout the time of King Cyrus of Persia until the next king after Cyrus, which is King Darius of Persia. And then it says, at the beginning of the reign of Ahasuerus, they filed an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah. This is a copy of the letter they sent to him. So they're sending a letter now to the emperor, and this is uh, complaining about what's happening. So this is a formal complaint. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants in in the Trans-Euphrates, which is that area. Now, let the king be aware that the Jews who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and odious city. They are completing its walls and repairing its foundations. Let the king also be aware that if this city is built and its walls are completed, no more tax, custom or toll will be paid and the royal treasury will suffer loss. In light of the fact that we are loyal to the king, aren't they sounding so ingratiating here? You know, we're the loyal ones, and it's actually, we're worried about your money. We're worried you're going to lose out financially here. We are loyal to the king, and since it does not seem appropriate to us that the king should sustain damage, we're sending the king this information so that he may initiate a search of the records of his predecessors and discover in those records that this city is rebellious and injurious to both kings and provinces, producing internal revolts from long ago. And it's for this very reason this city was destroyed. 
We're therefore informing the king that if the city is rebuilt and his walls are completed, you will not retain control of this portion of Trans-Euphrates. That's pretty nasty, isn't it? That's, so this is lodging a complaint with the emperor about what God is doing. So here are these people. They've, they've been restored to the land, but things are tough, things are hard, but they are determined to serve God and rebuild his kingdom. And that they're suffering this attack. And uh, so I, they, they're actually beginning to rebuild the temple. This is the key thing that the enemies are against. And the temple is God's presence living with his people. Now, I want to ask you, what is the temple now? The temple, physical temple is destroyed. What's the temple now? Sorry? Yeah. It's us. Yes, we are the temple, both individually and as a community. The, the church is called the living temple as we assemble together. We're the temple. And the, the, the key idea of the temple, it's the place where we meet with God. The place, in fact, where God's presence is. And so God's presence is here as we meet together. But God's presence is also in you if you are one of God's people. And so what they're trying to do in bigger terms is to recreate, to rebuild this connection with God so they can enjoy God's presence. And um, the first temple was actually the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve would enjoy God's presence there, which, they, which is something they lost. And the ultimate goal is that the entire earth would become God's presence as the kingdom of God spreads out as the gospel spreads out. And then we see a new creation where there is no temple because God's presence is everywhere. There is no limit to it. But in this story, what they are doing is the same as what we are doing when we are wanting God's presence with us. We are connecting with God. We are building both as a community, as God's kingdom, and also individually a walk with God. So God, to sum it up, God's presence, is, the temple is God living among his people. God living among his people. So as God is living in you, you are this temple. So there's nothing Satan hates worse than this God living with his people. Nothing hates worse. That's why he would try to destroy Eden because it was God's presence with his people. And that's why there was this attack on the temple. And so, and that's why he wants to stop you walking with God and um, having God's pre- God living within you. So as we try as individuals to draw nearer to God and as a, as a, a church community to spread the kingdom, we are to expect attacks. We are to expect attacks. And many here are having attacks in their lives. Maybe you right now are having attacks in your life. And as I'm speaking, you can say, yeah, I know. I can, I'm having, I'm under attack. And I want to encourage you, and we're going to see that God is stronger than Satan. And that we are giving this story, so I, we're given this story so that we can take hold of what God can do. Because he's done it in the past and he can do it in the future. So let's look then at how the story continues. The king sent the following response. To Rahum, the commander, 
Shimsai the scribe, and the rest of the colleagues who live in Samaria and other parts of the Trans-Euphrates. Greetings. The letter you sent to us has been translated and read in my presence. So I gave the orders and it was determined that this city from long ago has been engaged, engaging in insurrection against kings. It has continually engaged in rebellion and revolt. In other words, you're, you're right. Now give orders that these men cease their work and this city not be rebuilt until such a time as I so instruct. Exercise appropriate caution so that there is no negligence in this matter. Why should danger increase to the point the kings sustain damage? So this looks pretty bad. You know, the king replies, yeah, you're right. Thanks for being on my side. Stop these people. And so we read, then as soon as the copy of the letter from King Axerxes was read in the presence of Rahum, Shimsai, the scribe, and their colleagues, they proceeded promptly to the Jews in Jerusalem and stopped them with threat of armed force. So sometimes when Satan attacks, uh, things can get worse. Sometimes you think, where is God in all of this? Look, wasn't it God who put it in the heart of Ezra, of um, the, the Empress Cyrus to send us back here? Like, wasn't that supernatural? What's going on? How can that same God who empowered this can now seeming to allow his enemies to be greater than us? So we're going to read on. The work on the temple of God in Jerusalem came to a halt. It remained halted until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. So then we have the next chapter. Uh, so the prophet Haggai and Zechariah prophesied that uh, that um, that they should continue that God was with them. And what they actually said is this. Let's just look at these verses. Let's. Um, uh, so they started rebuilding, and ju- they just started rebuilding, even though they hadn't been given permission. The enemies here, the governors, said, "Who gave you authority to re- rebuild the temple and complete the structure?" And said, "What are the names of the people building this?" So they got into trouble. Um, but it says God was watching over the elders of Judah, and this is one of the key things I want you to take away today. God is watching over you. God is watching over you in all that you do. He sees the, the, the problems you're having in your life. He sees all the things that have happened. God was watching them, and they weren't stopped. They actually, they, they, they gave them some trouble, but they didn't actually stop them until they could send a report to Darius and a letter could be sent back. So this is the copy um, that uh, was sent. And here's the, cop- the next letter that was sent. To King Darius, all greetings. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the temple of the great God. It's being built with large stones and timbers are placed in the walls. This work is being done with all diligence and is prospering in their hands. We inquired of those elders, asking them, who gave you the authority to rebuild this temple and to complete the structure? We also inquired of their names in order to inform you so that we might write the names of the men who were their leaders. So this looks like even more trouble. They responded to us in the following way. We are servants of the God of heaven and earth. And I've written that in bold because I want, this is like a key verse 
for the message today. I want you to be able to say, I'm a servant of the God of heaven and earth. Can you say that? Can you take that into your heart? Let's say it together, shall we? I'm a servant of the God of heaven and earth. Let's do it one more time. I'm a servant of the God of heaven and earth. They said, we were rebuilding the present of the temple, which was previously built many years ago. We're rebuilding a connection with God, an intimacy with God. A great king of Israel built it and completed it. That was Solomon. But after our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he delivered them into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed the temple and exiled the people in Babylon. But in the first year of King Cyrus of Babylon, King Cyrus enacted a decree to rebuild the temple of of God. Now, if the king is so inclined, because this is a different king now, a different emperor, let a search be conducted in the royal archives there in Babylon in order to determine whether King Cyrus did in fact issue orders for this temple of God to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us a decision concerning this matter. So this is the enemies of God's people sending this letter back and they think this is going to make their case stronger. They have no idea of the effect that this letter is going to have. Let's see what happens. So Darius the king orders and they searched in the archives of the treasury which were deposited there in Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ekbatana, which is in the province of Media, and it was inscribed as follows. Memorandum. In the first year of his reign, King Cyrus gave orders concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place where sacrifices are offered. Let its foundations be set in place, its height to be 90 feet, its width 90 feet, with three layers of large stones and one layer of timber, the expense to be subsidized from the royal treasury. And then he describes that this is all to be done and the the gold and silver and everything returned. And so this is the letter. Now, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, Shelter, Bonanai, and their colleagues, the officials of Trans-Euphrates, all of you stay far away from there. Leave the work on this temple of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this temple of God in its proper place. And I bold this as whole next section because I just think it's so amazing. I also hereby issue orders as to what you are to do with those elders of the Jews in order to rebuild this temple of God from the royal treasury from the taxes of Trans-Euphrates, the complete costs are to be given to these men so that there may be no interruption of the work. Whatever is needed, whether oxen or rams or lambs or burnt offerings for the God of heaven or wheat or salt or wine or oil as required by the priests who are in Jerusalem must be given to them daily without any neglect so that they may be offering incense to the God of heaven and may be praying for the good fortune of the king and his family. I hereby give orders that if anyone changes this directive, a beam 
is to be pulled out from his house. He is to be raised up and impaled on it and his house to be reduced to a rubbish heap for this indiscretion. May God, who makes his name to reside there, overthrow any king or nation who reaches out to cause such change so as to destroy this temple of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have given orders. Let them be carried out with precision. This is the Persian emperor who's not a follower of God, and he's making this decision. Isn't this extraordinary? This is like, this is God supernaturally intervening and putting it in his, his heart to write these words. Well, um, this is how it received, was received. Tatanai, governor of the Trans Euphrates, Shouta Bonai and the colleagues acted accordingly with precision because they didn't want to be impaled on a beam and their house pulled down and so on. Just as Darius the king had given instruction. The elders of the Jews continued building and prospering, while at the same time, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido continued prophesying. They finished this temple on the third day of the month, Adar, which is the sixth year of the king, the reign of the king Darius. The people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles observed the dedication of this temple of God with joy. They observed the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with joy. For the Lord had given them joy and had changed the opinion of the king of Assyria towards them so that he assisted them in the work on the temple of God, the king, the God of Israel. So we've had a lot of reading today and because I really want you to be impacted by this, this incredible part of scripture. I want you to be impacted by this extraordinary story because it would be, if I just told it to you, you might say, well, that's, that's nice, Andrew, but did that really happen? But this really happened and it's backed up by the archives in Babylon and the archaeological records. This really happened and this turnaround was because God loves his people. And Satan cannot have victory against you if you are serving God. If you are being attacked by Satan this morning, I want you to take courage and take confidence in this story. We've got, uh, let's just go back to to see where we've been going with this. Um, They said, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth, We're rebuilding the temple which was previously built many years ago. David built the city, but Jesus now is building this new city in our lives. This was the, uh, the, the temple that, um, that was rebuilt. And, uh, it was, uh, uh, the, 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 the structure was not as splendid as Solomon's one, but nevertheless, it was essentially what continued in time, until the time of Jerusalem. Herod, Herod did some expansion, but it was essentially the, the same temple. And God, re, God reestablished his presence and his communion with his people. So I want to end by saying, if you're under attack this morning, I want you to be encouraged. We are trying to do exactly what Ezra was. We are trying to engage with God. We're trying to walk with God and live a life where we are connected with him. But we're in enemy territory. We're in enemy territory. We're reclaiming it for God. Let us be encouraged. 
And maybe this morning you're far from God. Maybe, maybe you, you, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of, of God. You couldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, I want to know, or you to know that the way to God is open. That he says, I am for you. And if you want to come to me, then I will give you this, this love, this security, this presence forever. Because my, my, my offer is open to you. All you have to do is to pray to me and to ask me to say, God, I want to be part of your people. I want to know that you are for me and you will be with me. And God will answer that prayer. And God will take away and forgive all the bad stuff that you've done, all the things that have, that have been so much against him. He will forgive and wipe them away and give you a new future. And so I want you to know if you're this morning, if you are following Jesus, maybe you've been backsliding. You've not been living as you should. Or maybe you've been suffering some kind of external attack. I want you to be encouraged this morning that you can say, I'm a child of the God of heaven and earth. And I know that Satan's, his attacks are nothing. And in fact, God can turn the attacks, not just defeat them, but turn them into something that's much more spectacular. Because if you read that story, that we, the last letter that was read, they ended up stronger than they were before. They ended up not just by removing the opposition, but by the enemies having to provide for them financially. And if they didn't, they'd get impaled with a beam from their house or whatever. They ended up with this, with this positive that was, wasn't even there to start with. So I want to encourage you, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And uh, um, I want to encourage you, I'm going to Pray right now, and I'd like us, as I pray right now, I'd like you to bring to mind anything that, that resonates with you in this story. Any, any place in your life where you feel there's an attack, or any place where you would like to see victory in your life, um, for the sake of God. So let's pray, shall we? God, we're amazed, we're astounded at the love that you showed to your people who treated you so badly and the way your tenderness to them was forever and your heart was so open to them even though they'd spurned you. And Lord, we're touched by that and we're touched by the power that you showed on their behalf when Satan tried to attack them. And Lord, I want I want to bring to you areas of my life and, and other people here will bring to you areas of our lives where right now we feel under attack, where we feel stress, where we want victory. We pray, Lord, that we will have the same kind of experience that these Israelites did, where we know that the God of heaven and earth is our God. We serve him, and he will come and give us victory, and he will turn what looks like defeat into victory. Lord, we claim this this story for our lives. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be like the Israelites' hearts who were longing for your presence, for your connection in our lives. We bring this to you for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom. Amen.